This episode of Talk of the Devils is sponsored once more by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit 1 million orders phase. Yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling ETH style turtleneck sweaters or blueprints for brand new stadiums, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to Talk of the Devils, you can sign up for our $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash reddevils, all in lowercase without any spaces. So go to shopify.com slash reddevils to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash reddevils. The Athletic. One apiece. Ball floated forward. He can't blow straight away because of the time. And McTominay! Yes! Oh, McTominay! And the double for Manchester United has rescued their blushes. How good does he get as a second half substitute? This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Scott McTominay. We are recording the start of this podcast inside Old Trafford just an hour since the midfielder took the roof off this place with two goals in stoppage time to beat Brentford 2-1 and rescue what was going to be a pretty miserable international break. I'm stood with two men who are smiling back at me, Laurie Whitwell and Andy Mitten. Absolutely incredible. Sum that up at the end, Laurie. It was pure bedlam, wasn't it? It was limbs whirring everywhere. A noise that I've, I've not heard in a long time. The last time I heard a noise like that was the Manchester City game when Scott McTominay <laughs> he scored, in that scored one. as well. No <laughs> one can produce a noise like that, just and, Scott McTominay. Well, also his celebration was brilliant, wasn't it? Like running off, that look of ecstasy on his face, knees um, facing the air, submerged by all the players. Onana came up from his goal line to celebrate, didn't he? Um, you're sort of thinking, where'd you put the statue? Like, <laughs> I mean, okay, maybe that's getting a bit carried away. And maybe a little I got, bit. Maybe I got a bit carried away on Twitter. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of sound this out with you, with you guys. I don't know if you, if, what you think. Steve Bruce, 1993. I know that was for the title, uh, but that kind of unexpected goal scorer, although I know he scored quite a few that season, to kind of turn around a situation that was looking bleak. Um, and, and it was, you know, we'll we probably get onto this a bit later, but, you know, United, if they'd have lost a third game in a row um, at home in the Premier League, first time since 1979, that would have been. I, I was already with the... 1977? Oh, I don't know. 78, 79, I'm hearing. Somebody, somebody showed me 1979. I'm, I'm, I'm backing myself here. The BBC said 1977, perhaps we can clarify at some point. Okay, maybe later. Um, It's been a while anyway. (laughs) Yeah, so it was actually a serious situation, but that the way that United won that, and Eric Tenag spoke afterwards, he's saying that has to be a turnaround, you know, that has to be a catalyst for more meaningful results. Yeah, it needs to be. Uh, Just on McTominay, four touches after coming on in the 87th minute two goals one in the 93rd one in the 97th which was pretty much the last kick of the game at Old Trafford he said it was one of his most favourite memories or moments on a football pitch Andy did you enjoy it just as much as Scott? Yeah it was the best moment of this season so far and I hope that it can be a turning point because in the minutes before that I was despairing honestly I'd sunk to my lowest point with Manchester United this season I was thinking I'm not even surprised that United are going to lose another game the goals keep going against United around the same 
point in the match. And when Scott McTominay came on, he wasn't applauded on Ian. There was some disquiet. And he made his mark. Fantastic. He's a man in a moment. He's the hero. Football bloody hell and all that. I'm absolutely buzzing <laughs> that it did go in. Started looking at the league table. Right, if we just win the next 23 league matches, we might be in with a chance of... Finishing in the top half. Yeah, it was great. He just changed the mood totally. And Harry's assist, fantastic. I thought it was a pretty poor performance before those goals. I hope he can just turn things round. You know, there's got a break now, haven't we? And... The mood will just be 20% better going into it. Only 20%? In 200%? My, in my imaginary mood sort of rating. Moodometer. Moodometer, it's gone up 20%. It, it had sunk. Look, team have still lost four of their opening eight, eight league games. I wasn't convinced by that performance today. I don't think many people were. Got massive worries still with the goalkeeper, with loads of individual performances. But the headline is, is rightly so, and it's Scott McTominay. Everyone goes home happy rather than being pissed off. And there's a huge difference. It just swung the other way. I didn't think it was going to happen. You saw, Absolutely you, you not, by it, the way. Not, okay, 1-1. One, one. All right, I think that stops another home defeat. But it's still only one all against Brentford. And Brentford have won one game all season. And then for it to go in, both at that end. And the Brentford fans have been getting a little bit cheeky as well support your local team I'm like okay 10 years ago your average crowd was 5,500 where were you supporting your local team it's now 17,000 I thought if I put that out there you're just going to look like the most sourest of grapes but it is factually correct if any Brentford fan wants it out with me great it was, it was a great Old Trafford moment and there's not been enough of them this season no, it was a real Manchester United moment. I interviewed Bruno Fernandes after the game and that's exactly what he said as well. An academy graduate scoring twice in stoppage time to win it felt very Manchester United and I immediately thought of Sir Alex Ferguson as well who must be enjoying an absolutely horrendous time. Our hearts go out to him after losing his wife, Lady Cathy Ferguson. I hope in some way that finish brought a smile to his face in this most desperate of times. Um, in terms of the football though, Laurie, it's not just about being a turning point, is it? It's about making those players feel different on a football pitch. Even that first goal made those players feel different on that pitch. The belief that just even one goal brought. Yeah, hugely. And I think it's right that they were so collective at the end. You know, players that had been brought off went onto the pitch. You know, Marcus Rashford, who had you know another sort of difficult afternoon, did some good bits, did you know other stuff that wasn't great, and he got removed even earlier than his last two substitute appearances. So that's an issue. But he went onto the pitch and he's clapping the fans off. All the players sort of together, and that's something that Tenag touched on. Clearly, that's what he hopes to harness. You know, the fact that you've got the fans on side, the players together, uh, and and kind of get through any turbulence that they're experiencing right now. Um, I, I loved how Garnacho was pointing to Harry Maguire in the celebrations because it was a huge header that he won yeah. to set up Scott McTominay. And by the way, just on, on the Scott McTominay finishes, how good were they? That, that, that first <laughs> I one, don't even remember them, if I'm honest. It was, it was, it was one... You just get lost in it all yeah. a little bit, well, don't you? Kind of, you're, you're trying to think of, of how you're going to, you know, I guess, you like who you're going to interview afterwards, what questions you're going to ask. I was writing something that was totally different to what I ended up writing. Um, it was quite easy for me because all the questions I was going to ask the Manchester United player that I got I just asked to the Brentford player instead <laughs> and well, vice versa well, how are you feeling anyway you said you were a little bit hung 
over because you went to a club called Impossible last night, which it felt like United United season was was feeling a little bit impossible today. But they did the impossible at the end, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, lovely. Um, slightly sore head. I've got that like slightly clammy feeling, you know, when you've been on the sauce the day before. And it's sort of getting late in the day. I think I need my bed. So how's um, the head after that then? I mean, that was that noise something that you didn't need? <laughs> yeah, I actually felt better okay. for that noise, thankfully. Um, just looking at the stats, Andy. So we're, we're trying to work out maybe when we record the second part of this podcast on Monday, we'll have all the data to hand. But we're trying to work out whether Manchester United have ever done that before at the end. I, I don't think they'd entered stoppage time in a Premier League game and won the match uh, when they were behind going into stoppage time. Just looking at uh, the Opta stats as well, they started collecting data in 2006. And for their records, since they started collecting data, that was the latest Premier League winner that United had ever scored at Old Trafford. Um, and I don't remember them being one behind to win 2-1 in a game going into stoppage time since the new Camp. That's, that's quite surprising then, because there is that cliche, they always score, they come from behind, Fergie time, etc, etc. Just not in stoppage time, no. it's like that 80 to 90 minute Yeah. Normal. Yeah, and, well, stoppage time has gone from like 2 minutes to 26 <laughs> minutes. Well, so and I guess more. they probably scored in stoppage time, but the game's been level going into stoppage yeah. time as opposed to being behind. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm on a come down from it now. It's sort of <laughs> start, really, it's yeah. starting to come down. I don't even know if I saw the goal. Like my, my head was just in my hands because this, this complete clash of emotions. You're a United fan. It's your job as well, whether you like it or not. And I'm thinking when they're losing, right, who's going to be ringing me in the morning? Hi, Andy, sorry to bother you again, but um, would you come on the TV and talk about how terrible Manchester United are? And I'm very sorry that we don't call you in the win matches. We just call you in. It's a complete disaster. I'm thinking, can I face a week more of this absolute nonsense? No. Yeah. No, you don't need to. Don't need to now. Thank you, Scott. Please, for Scott. I mean, there's a line that he's done really well for Scotland. He's a goal scorer for Scotland. He plays in that more advanced position. Don't really think it worked for Mainson Mount in the first half in that advanced position today. There's a strong case for Scott. He's clearly a very good player. And if United would have got enough for him in the summer, they would have sold him to West Ham. But I think he's he's a player who is not the star. He's not seen as a game changer, even though he has been. Provided us with some of the best moments in the last five years now. So that'll, that'll push his stock up. Does that push him into being a, a starting starting player I don't know I don't know I think there's there's a lot of players who've really underachieved I thought Casimiro was was, was woeful today and that's with Amrabat alongside him Laurie as well which was what was trying to help him really that this, this was the game where we, we get to see what those two were like together and it, it wasn't a ringing endorsement for Casemiro at all. No, to be subbed off at half-time, that's another significant substitution by Tenag. He's, he's, you know, he's not shirking these big no. decisions. I mean, that's probably why there's been a feeling of, of loss of control, maybe, because he's made in, making so many big calls and that obviously upsets people at times. But he took off Casemiro at half-time and, and afterwards he was quite honest about why. He said that he wanted Ericsson on the ball for passing between the lines. You know, He wanted more creativity there. More which, football, he said. More football, yeah, good point. Um, so Quite pointed, that. Yeah. I mean, maybe is that a bit of a lost in translation, or maybe it's just yeah, that's what you what, what he thinks. Um, it's, it's odd that Casemiro, I would say though, and, and definitely you know he was it was I mean it was his pass for the goal that uh, Brentford scored, wasn't it? It was awful, you know. To, they were queuing up to make mistakes yeah, for that yeah, goal, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. I mean, that is is that the worst goal 
conceded by United at Old Trafford. I, I can't remember one that has just been so in stages bad where you've gone, that's a mistake, that's a mistake. No, just just do that there, just clear it there, just just save it there. Oh no, every single player in that move has, has done badly. Yeah, Casemiro, I mean the free kick from Maguire was I don't know. I don't know. If, I don't know if that was the right choice. Certainly, Casemiro giving the ball away definitely wasn't. Then sliding in and not winning the tackle. I think they had two attempts to clear it, and Onana again as well. Casemiro was Manchester United's player of the month for last month because he had a couple of good games, and we thought he was coming back to form. But Gala, no. Was, was he the player of the month? Yeah, he was the player of the month. Really? He votes, he votes for that. Fans. Really. Casemiro's wife. <laughs> There's only one vote. <laughs> Can't blame her. And he's and he's. Um, his four mates. <laughs> when Ericsson came on, I think he did give United urgency. So he took a shot about seven or eight minutes mm. into the second half, which he needed because for all the possession, the real chances were not being created. And Brentford, I think, defended really well and were content to defend well and were content to, to waste time or use time more efficiently in a manner which may have helped them. Eric Ten Hag was absolutely apoplectic towards the end of that game about the time wasting. I didn't quite come off from, did he? Should have hey? Unlucky Brentford, <laughs> eh? Were you four thousand five hundred hardcore? Unlucky. I'm being distracted by this lady's voice over here, Larry, as well. The one of the staff who's cleaning up at the stadium has got an absolutely angelic voice. Sort of soothing me into this like come down that Andy's talking about. Well, she's, she's clearing the rubbish away, all, all the kind of bottles that probably got flung in the air when United scored, and she's got her headphones in, just, you know, in her own little world, listening to whatever song it is, and, and we're getting a little taste of it. Yeah, very nice. We've had Bruno Fernandes out on the pitch with some members of his family. I've not mentioned, actually, as Scott McTominay left the stadium uh, from the, the players' entrance exit at the, at the back of the tunnel, he had a couple of, uh, I don't know if they were friends or family with them, and the guy who was with him was filming on his phone as McTominay walked out of the stadium and to hear all the fans suddenly burst back into da, 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 Scott McTominay and then he went over and signed a couple of autographs waved to the supporters and, and went through. It's a lovely moment. Uh, it's a type of moment that we just didn't feel was coming. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, well that was Saturday, and here we are now on Monday morning. Andy, Laurie, and I have been joined by Carl Anker. You've had a listen to us indulging in that last-minute extravaganza at Old Trafford. What was your view of it? Uh, I've never heard gentlemen so happy that their team is 10th. And and fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. It, 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 it's the combination of just euphoric joy that United have won last minute. And there's also that tinge of just relief that you can just, you can go into international break. Bit of calm. No nonsense about crisis, this and boom, 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 that. And... Yeah, I, I really like that reaction. It was very much great win, and now we'll have to figure out what we need to do in two weeks' time. Yeah, well, the thing was, it was coming, yeah. wasn't it? Uh, in terms of the the barrage of shit. Sorry for <laughs> swearing if any children are listening, but there was going to be a lot of that across the across the two weeks, undoubtedly. And I suppose over the course of the, the, the remainder of this podcast, we probably do need to get into what wasn't a very good ninety two minutes and forty six seconds, which preceded the Scott McTominay show, but. Just in terms of that end, Carl, and 
that that feeling. That's football. That's why we all fell in love with it in the first place. It's a big reason why people have fallen in love with Manchester United over the years as well. What do you think the power of, of those two goals in stoppage time can do for United's season before we get into the other bit? It's probably dramatically changed the dressing room. You've probably gone out from... And I'll, I'll speak for myself there. When the with the offside goal was chalked off, I went, oh, this is it. We are properly up the creek without a paddle. Not even the mildest thing. And also, not it's not just the fact McTominay managed to get a goal, but the fact he did two. Because after when it was one one, I was happy with. I would have. I would have taken a draw. I'm not going to lie. So you've gone from a dressing room that would have had large talks about this being the worst in you know three defeats since bing bang bing bang boom two weeks of 1979 we've, we've confirmed that it that was correct yeah. there we go there we go the uh, bbc needs to look at their article <laughs> as well because it still says 1977 on monday morning so um but yeah laurie was correct so we, sorry Laurie. we could have had we could have had the talk since 1979 they'll prob that would have probably meant all of monday would have had pieces comparing the worst manchester united starts from now until however back in history but there would have been long reads on the underperformance of Casemiro on the underperformance of Bruno Fernandes on the underperformance of Marcus Rashford on this and this and as well. on Andre Onana and whether or not Big he time. needs to be dropped as well whereas now we could just have 72 hours of a little bit of calm and it's that great thing if United went from a bit where they would have been historically bad to finishing off a weekend where they've won Manchester City have lost and Liverpool have also dropped points so you can just like, oh, well, do you know what? Not bad. United are now only five points off the top four. And that's because in the entire Premier League table above Manchester United this weekend, only Tottenham and Arsenal won. Uh, there was a hell of a lot of draws and it's meant that United have, have caught up two points on quite a lot of teams. As to how high that expectation goes, I guess we need to see a bit more than those two stoppage time goals. Let's get into it then. Andy and Laurie, you were both there. Andy, how bad was it before that late finish? I mean... How poor was the performance? How concerning was it? Deeply concerning. I'm an optimist, but I had my head in my hands towards the end. I just thought, because you know what's coming that you've touched on. You could pull apart all negative statistics, the lack of goals scored, United's league position, inability to break down opponents. I actually asked Diogo a lot about that after the game. And he just said Brentford were just content to defend and defend and were quite happy defending. But we're seeing it week after week. An alarming drop-off, more pressure on the manager, more pressure on the players, some of, of who you've mentioned. Even when the, the offside goal went in, I'm just like, you can't even feel like you can celebrate a goal now because you know that a VAR check's coming. So it was, it was a brilliant ending. It was much needed. It was this cathartic release. Uh, and McTominay gets gets the flowers for a few days and and that's lovely but the performance were, were, was a poor one and I'm still worried you know we're playing Manchester City this month and injuries play a huge part in it but wins do stabilize wins do uh, give confidence to the players to a dressing room which which needed that and the ship which you know on the front cover of United we stand we've got a ship crashing or or at least in very turbulent waters and it just calms it a little bit. I'm not so confident at the moment. I don't think the team's been 
been performing well. The league table shows that. Look at the teams United have beaten and the teams who United have been defeated by. The teams United have won against tend to be towards the bottom and the teams United have lost against tend to be towards the top. So that's a pretty accurate barometer of where United are after eight league games. Laurie, in your match piece that was on The Athletic, you wrote about the Brentford fans goading Eric Ten Hag with chance of getting sacked in the morning. Um, like we've established, they were on a a run for three consecutive home losses for the first time since 1979. It would have been quite severe, the scrutiny on Eric Ten Hag's position, wouldn't it, if if those two goals hadn't have gone in? I think all those points that Carl made still are relevant. You know, at the kind of injury time goals, uh, they shift the mood and certainly the way that people look at things. But the underlying issues, obviously, are still there. But it does give Ten Hag a lot more breathing room. You know, three defeats in a row at home is is just you know historically bad. So there's going to be scrutiny on his position. Would have been four as well yeah. if he had in Galatasaray yeah. as well. You know, the, the statistic is the league, but obviously yeah. it would have been four considering they hadn't lost yeah. there in a year. Yeah. And, and and the issues were, you know, familiar. You know, so the way that United conceded that goal was just comical. I don't know if you like this. Theatre of Daydreams, are you having that? <laughs> they are The absent-mindedness yeah, of that first that. goal. I've said it I've now. Said it. I mean, Casemiro, yeah, just the kind of sort of not really fully attentive way that he you know, made, made that pass. I mean, I, I kind of, I got a bit of um, stick on Twitter for sort of saying that Maguire's uh, free kick to him was pro- perhaps an odd choice because I thought it kind of put him in a little bit of danger. People were sort of saying, you, you're talking rubbish, um, which it could, I could well have been. Won't be the first time. Exactly. I thought that was maybe the wrong choice and then obviously Lindelof and, and Onana. I mean, just the the diving technique that he has, um, it's definitely unconventional and he's. I think he's, um, you know, Ajax, they they looked at it, but actually they they realised that, that it was a quicker way to get down to the floor. But it does seem that there's an issue there that, that maybe needs resolving in coaching because it's just happened too frequently now. And I just think also that United's, I mean, so they bought him for the you know passing out from the back and kind of to change the way that United could play. But actually, the way that United were doing the goal kicks was Johnny Evans passing it two yards and um, Onana launching it, you know, and, and frequently didn't hit the target, or at least United weren't able to actually benefit from it it kind of was just giving Brentford the ball back and obviously that was to kind of avoid the the high press from Brentford in terms of that though at the weekend because I mean I've talked about that in the podcast previously do you not think that was just a a confidence thing stroke the fact that you know United had an extremely makeshift back four out there as well possibly yeah fair enough yeah and if you've got Martinez there I suppose he's more inclined to give it him sure Um, but I just think if it if that was the plan then I don't know, it, it didn't work, so that's maybe on Ten Hag. If that was an Onana choice, then I guess you have to sort of question, you know, how do you feel about that and, and could that be resolved? Because, um, I mean, the injuries, I don't think they're going to clear up anytime soon. I suppose Rafael Varane, um, I think he'd have, if it added a couple of more days, he would have been able to play, but I don't know if that really changes what the the back line would do in that situation too much. Um, Luke Shaw still, I think we're looking for another month for him to be out. Regulon might be back after the international break, of course, um, but it doesn't feel like that's going to be a situation that, that remedies itself anytime soon. Um, I did think Johnny Evans and, and Maguire, to be fair, you know, uh, were, were actually pretty good um, throughout the whole game. I, I don't think either one of them put a foot wrong, you know, after the, 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 the conceding. Uh, of the goal but yeah it just was United toiling again and I did think it was quite instructive that Tenag took off Casemiro at half time you know and he's took taken off Rashford clearly he's, he's obviously realising that these are the big players that he had last season are they actually producing for him and, it, and he you feel like he's getting to a point where he will drop one of them Kyle do you think this Casemiro thing is a 
is a temporary solution to sort out the Brentford game or is this going to be a serious consideration that United might be starting matches without him moving forward? I think there needs to be a conversation about it. Casemiro is not the player he was last season. His, his tackling is down, his counter-pressing is down, his positional play is erratic. Sometimes it looks like he's hit his head and he's woken up and he thinks he's someone else. Casemiro used to be one of the best defensive midfielders in the world at stopping cutbacks, being stood at the edge of the box, stopping that cross and stopping football players from having a shot, go bending it in the bottom corner. Now he's so far ahead of the ball. It's remarkable. He's 31 years of age and he's playing like he's 24. Um, and you just go, just, just stand, just protect your back four. Um, Amrabat, we said it last week, um, that Amrabat coming next to Casemiro might help. I will say Amrabat next to Ericsson gave a little bit more stability at a point in time because Casemiro, for some reason, is playing far too advanced ahead of the ball and there needs to be a conversation between him and the manager about where he needs to stand, about what his roles and responsibilities are. I still think, I believe Casemiro is still United's top goal scorer this season, which is <laughs> <laughs> both good and bad. Do you think that's what he's thinking? That he, he is seeing a team that isn't creating much isn't scoring goals and he's he's thinking I need to get involved here maybe maybe and you know Casemiro's got five Champions League medals here this is this is his uh, epilogue his Manchester United career shall we say but there are times where, he, where he's so far ahead of the ball especially yeah. when the ball is lost yeah. that it just leaves the team way, way open and it causes that sort of dysfunction that you saw for Brentford's goal and Casemiro's lost the ball pretty cheaply Lindelof who's never been the most aggressive defender is neither here nor there and Anana who is not a great shot stopper at the, this point in time but he's having to save or be you know, he's having to try and save so many shots because there's no defence in front it, it, uh, it was a comedy of errors that goal Andy? When Casemiro signed some, someone with a very high level coaching experience said to me there's a big risk buying a player for so much who's 520 games into his career and uh, I laughed him off and said, no, it's Casemiro, he's absolutely fantastic. And he was last season. Played 51 times last season, Casemiro. He's playing a huge number of games. The worry I have is not that he doesn't want to do it, because he does, it's that he can't do it, because he can't. And he's been, well, apart from being United's Player of the Month last month, it was completely culpable for the change in mood on Saturday by losing the ball in the middle. And this isn't a one-off either. United are starting games well, conceding goals around the same point in matches and then trying to finish strongly. Sometimes it comes off, uh, sometimes it doesn't. So Casemiro's form is uh, is a major issue. I think you've pointed out a, a key component of United's poor start as well. And I do think that the amount of games that they played last season, it was unprecedented, wasn't it? You know, getting to the final of the League Cup, the FA Cup, going pretty deep into the Europa League, having those extra matches against Barcelona, added to the Premier League as well. I think United, I haven't got the stats to hand, but I think United played more matches last season than any other campaign, bar one maybe. Any other team in Europe? Well, okay, there you go. season, I'm pretty sure. And I remember doing Liverpool games... um, at the start of last season I think it was when they'd had a season before where they were going for the quadruple and 
uh, didn't end up with much to show for that. But what it did do is it had a real impact on the start of the following campaign because we're talking about the key players. We're talking about Casimiro, about Rashford, Luke Shaw even. You know, all the people who'd probably made the most appearances, Bruno Fernandes for Manchester United last year, have not been at the level or they've been out injured at the start of this campaign. And I don't know how you re- you rectify that, Laurie, because you need your key players to play and play well. You can't just give them a rest for a few weeks, can you? Well, you, you certainly can't when the squad is still, you know, as kind of wonky as it is. Let's get back to that word. The fact that if you take out Casemiro, you're putting in Amrabat. Okay, I suppose they're, they're, you're now getting into a situation where you, you can have a, a kind of like for like in that regard. Do you think they were better without Casemiro in that second half? I mean, uh, Sam on Twitter actually said, we need to talk about how much better United were without Casemiro in the second half. That was his opinion. What do you think? Yeah, they, they were. I think you have to accept that. They actually started the game pretty well. They, they actually were, were, were high up, controlling the ball in Brentford's third. And that was probably the first time I've, you know, I've seen this season where it was for an extended period of time that United were actually based in the opposition territory and, and kind of, you know, had a bit of variety to their attacks as well. But then the goal totally undermined everything and they just went into, you know, a shell of themselves. And then it did take, you know, a lot of time for them to rebuild and then the substitutions that Ten Hag made. You know, obviously Casemiro coming off was one thing. And, and I mean, yeah, it is quite stark that he said he wanted more football and Ericsson was, was that that guy to provide it. Um, I don't think he was absolutely perfect, Ericsson, but he was he was picking passes that kind of got United further up. And obviously he made more substitutions, you know, in terms of Anthony Marshall as a number 10. Um, and then, you know, clearly uh, Scott McTominay going up and just going direct, you know, having that sort of physical presence in the box that, you know, it kind of, kind of doing a, what Brentford do to other teams, to Brentford, to be honest. And, and the way that Brentford sat back as well, I, I don't know if that's also part of it, not necessarily, you know, primarily just on Casemiro. In terms of him, what, what you're saying, I mean, he had, yeah, as Andy touched on, 51 games uh, in all competitions for United last season. That's actually the most he's played in a season in his whole career. You know, Andy's touched on how long his career has been. And that was the season, you know, at the age 30, 31, where he's playing the most football in his whole you know, life. So that's obviously something to reflect on. I don't know what Ten Hag does. I mean, I, I can see him, yeah, taking Casemiro out of the team. I think Casemiro's a, a big enough guy to accept that. So I don't think it would be as dramatic as perhaps it would be if he took Marcus Rashford out of the team when the team are struggling to score and create. I think that's more of a uh, an issue perhaps. But um, yeah, Casemiro, you hope, he's had flickers of it, hasn't he, at the start of this season so far that he, he could rekindle what he did last season. Um, but I suppose, you know, time has this effect on all players and you kind of have to be able to rotate. Plus 10 games for Brazil last year and Brazil don't play around the corner from Old Trafford. Plus he would have played in the games which he was banned from having been sent off twice at Old Trafford. There was a complete over-reliance on him. And he delivered. He was one of United's best players last year. Was he used too much? Looking at the evidence now, um, there's clearly uh, there's got to be reason. It's hard to put the finger on it. Nobody knows the answer to this, by the way. The one one area of concern about possibly dropping Casemiro, I do. When Casemiro returned from his first suspension, Ten Hag sort of alluded to the idea that Casemiro is better the longer he's in the team because he, he just didn't able to keep him match sharp rather than match fit, shall we say. He likes to play as many minutes as possible. Before the season started, I did write a piece about the conundrum of Casemiro, about how you know for years Real Madrid couldn't get an understudy in for him. Because if, to get a player good enough to bench Casemiro 
they're, they're all barely going to play any football. This year, I think things are calmed down because Amrabat can play as the deepest midfielder and that, that's useful. But there really needs to be a conversation there about Casemiro holding his position. It's not... And again, I don't want to say his legs have gone. I do want to say he is running around and too much and not having, you know, not standing in front of that back four and not protecting the edge of the penalty area for those cutbacks. Because conceding cutbacks is a real issue United have had so far this season. United don't have any other Casemiro-class midfielders. I'm on about Casemiro playing at the top of his game. He got into the team last year because he was an upgrade on Scott McTominay. So if you remember the start of last season, Scott was actually playing all right, mm-hmm. and then he lost his place in the team to Casemiro, and Manchester United improved pretty significantly because of that. He was better than almost any other player and certainly the best midfielder last season so if he's dropped for Amrabat Casemiro at his best is the best midfielder there this this sounds absolutely ridiculous to say but you know I miss Fred just a little bit I miss Fred I miss Fred. I miss I miss good Fred. Let me let me yeah. let me be very specific. <laughs> United miss United miss good Fred. They miss an energetic player who can help with that counter press and can help win help win the ball back. Amrabat is slowly finding his way into the team and has only just played central midfield. Uh, and Eriksson, while he brings football, is not the combative physical player who can bring that counter pressing there yet. Two of the core principles as well, like energy and enthusiasm. That that's what Fred brought. Uh, and I'm not going to sort of revise his entire Manchester United career because I think you know by the end it felt like it was the right thing to do. But th- th- those particular qualities is, is kind of what Scott McTominay brought in those final moments as well. To be honest, um, just on Casemiro as well in terms of his um, national team commitments, like you alluded to, Andy, he's in the Brazilian squad again. I mean, they've got two matches across this international break. One on Friday. And one in the early hours of um, Wednesday morning as well against Uruguay. So, uh, you know, again, it's going to be another demanding schedule for him coming back then to to hit the ground running for United again with Sheffield United, with Copenhagen, with the Manchester derby. No, no, Copenhagen for him. No, that's true, actually. Yeah, so he gets his rest again. (laughs) That's how he sees to it then, I guess. It's it's training. (laughs) Gets himself sent off, gets himself his bookings and uh, and sits it out. No one else is going to rest me, so I'll do it for you. Does he do what Varane does and pulls himself out and says, you know, I've, I've, I've achieved a lot with my national team. The thing is, if you play for Brazil, that is... You don't, you don't, you don't pull, pull out. out. It is so you, prestigious. He's the captain. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and if you're the captain of a nation of over 200 million people, the, the that position is held in, in the highest esteem and he ain't going to pull out. The problem is Brazil play the toughest World Cup qualifying group, you're going to places like La Paz in Bolivia where the altitude um, sickness is a very uh, real thing. Uh, although I, I know Bolivia play in other venues as well. And it's draining. And so far, he's pulled it off. But as you said, he's playing more football now than he's ever played in his life before because Manchester United have needed him. At least sometimes at Real Madrid, the team could be rotated uh, I know he's very important play for Madrid, but when Madrid were playing Granada at home, you could afford to rest him and you could still win him. I just want to bring it back to something you said on the last podcast, Andy, if I can, because we had quite a lot of reaction to fans listening to the pod and uh, sort of wondering why I didn't or anyone else didn't push you a little bit more on something that you said. So let's do it. You said when we were sat in heaven on top of hotel football, sipping lovely drinks and eating Maltesers that you didn't think that Manchester United players were properly playing for Eric Ten Hag. What exactly did you mean by that? I don't think it's on the manager. Well, partly on the manager. I don't think there's a, mu- a mutiny among Manchester United players. 
I am told consistently that the players are trying, they're training well, but some players have not been responding to the manager's specific instructions. And it's clear to see in the matches. We've just been talking about some of it then. It's concerning. If a player can do it, or if a player is physically unable to, to do it, it's hard to put your finger on it. But things are not clicking. Eric Ten Hag is a manager. Management's changed. He's on the training pitch. He's giving extremely specific instructions out there. So whereas Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, for example, would met Michael Carrick and Kieran McKenna take the training sessions, Eric is, I won't say a new breed of manager because he's been in the game a long time, but he's there and he's extremely um, hands-on. There's other factors here. The injuries. Look at the back four on Saturday. I've not had any sense of undermining the manager, which has happened with players who have departed the club. Some serious undermining was going on there. And you will always get some players who are grumbling because I spoke to Ollie Gunner about this. Try and keep 25 internationals happy. It is almost impossible. And as Ter Eric Ten Hag said recently, it is eat or get eaten. And he knows that. And it's up to the manager to find a way to get the players to get them playing. And if they don't, then drop them. And this is a conundrum for every every football manager. I think players always question the manager if things are not going right for them. And that's the same at every single football club. And when the team are not winning, then stuff like this comes to the fore. I don't get a sense of um, a dressing room was as unhappy as it has been in recent years. I think that Eric Ten Hag has still got uh, the support of most players and I think the appetite for changing yet another manager simply isn't there from Manchester United but you lose your next 10 matches which ain't going to happen by the way because we're going to win the derby and things change the thing is in defence of Ten Hag glory he's had a hell of a lot of divisive issues to deal with I mean even even his stance on Jadon Sancho you know a lot of supporters that I've spoken to certainly seem that they back Ten Hag and, and his hardline stance on this. But, you know, some of the players within that dressing room will be sympathetic, I'm I'm sure, to, to Jadon Sancho. When you look at the issue with David De Gea, even in the summer, there would have been players sympathetic to him. And that's not even to mention some of the non-footballing issues he's had to deal with, like Anthony and Mason Greenwood as well. It's been an incredibly tricky period to be Manchester United manager, and that's not even talking about the results and performances. Yeah, and also the way that Eric Ten Hag manages, it's going to cause these kind of issues because he wants to be decisive, he wants to have high standards, he wants to push people. You know, he is intense. Some people don't find that easy to to get along with, you know. So, but that's not then to say another step and okay right well let's get rid of him then because what some players think that actually that's quite tough what he's done in certain circumstances yeah you, you touched on Sancho um, I've spoken to a lot of people about that situation and you get a bit of a split you know certainly there's people that have sympathy with the player there's also a lot of people that say he's had plenty of chances uh, you go back to what happened at Man City you go back to uh, Borussia Dortmund these issues happened at those places also so you know there comes a point where a manager just goes actually you know you're not productive to my squad and and out you go um we you know we'll, we'll touch on the david beckham documentary i'm sure in another podcast but that's 
the sort of frame of reference that I used for my match piece um, from Saturday, you know, because of the Fergie time goals and because of the the fact that I'm claiming it was some kind of, of a flicker of uh, Steve Bruce in '93. But you think back to what Sir Alex Ferguson would do regularly; he would upset players all the time. Um, yeah, and obviously you had to balance that with also the personality and, and winning games. Yeah, clearly that's a huge thing. But I do think that Ten Hag is just that kind of guy that has a clear plan of what he wants to do. And we've actually, you know, United fans have, have wanted um, a manager to have that, you know, uh, sort of absolute, I don't know, it's almost like a religious fervour, isn't it, to, to what they do with their their time around the club. And he, he absolutely puts the work in, you know, in terms of the hours and, and in terms of the, the thought processes. And just to kind of complete the, the comment that Andy um referenced earlier um, I mean that was to, so that was to my question at the very end of the press conference on Saturday where I said he mentioned it being a turning point you know and that's the big question is this a turning point and it's like well okay it's kind of easy to say this should be a turning point because it was such an emotional thing and it, it like looked like it was going to be absolute disaster and then it turned into you know ecstasy um, but how do you actually make that into a turning point um, and he, he, I thought I thought he was strong you know I thought this was one of his strongest quotes that he's given really and, and he mentioned football is eat or, or get eaten and fortunately United had put on a good uh, spread uh, before the game so I, that, that, that didn't make me hungrier uh, the firecracker chicken was uh, was good, so I, I wasn't sort of decent. Yeah, my stomach wasn't rumbling at that point when he started talking about <laughs> getting hungry. But he said, um, "Yeah, he said, you know, we, we've been eaten by opponents who are more hungry. This can't be. It has to go away. Every player has to deliver in every second that he is on the pitch. That is the demand. That's the standard." Um, and he basically accepted that that hasn't always been the case uh, in occasion in games, and you get hammered for it. This has to change. So I thought that was quite a telling statement to kind of finish his final, you know. Um, kind of media duties before the international break so that's the that's the message in players minds I would say didn't realize it was your question well done son I've got to get it in well there done. Andy you know I mean it was I didn't exactly tee him up you know it wasn't like I, I had to tease it out of him too much he just came out with it but you know there we go there's one other factor and it's really really important and it feeds right down into the players not that any of them would say it publicly it's the the ownership situation the the complete lack of inactivity the stasis which we are seeing almost a year after and a strategic review was announced. Doesn't help the fans, doesn't help the manager, doesn't help the players. They're not going to come out and speak out against their employees any more than most people in jobs around wherever would do the same. But that is not a positive, it is a negative. Right, should we spend a moment at the end of this podcast talking about the women's team, Carl? You've been across it. I think you're going to the PSG game this week as well, an historic moment for the club, a first ever game for the women's side in the Champions League. Um, and a pretty disappointing in the end two all draw with Arsenal but that was only because of the way the equaliser went in blimey what an equaliser yeah real yeah. real real interesting game on Friday Manchester United versus Arsenal United concede pretty early on and you're like oh okay this is this is going to be this is going to be a bit of a mess Leah Galton gets a goal from a goalkeeping mistake uh, and then uh, Mallard who's on loan from Lyon gets the go-ahead goal uh, and you're thinking this is it United have got a fantastic win Arsenal going to lose two from two and, and we've got a real real proper title race here and then right at the last minute uh, and it's one of those postage stamp finishes from Arsenal and it's two all um, probably on balance a fair point uh, and United are looking good again it's not the United team from last season uh, I, I did go into that game expecting Elisa Russo to score a goal and me to have to fall to my knees going, oh God, what have She we done? tried. She tried really hard. She hit the post. Yeah. Um, but this is, this, is a, this is a brand new look, Manchester United. They're not playing as direct as they used to. 
they, they don't quite have the the speed of Batil, uh, Batil Batier. I should be saying uh, they don't quite have the speed of Honor, uh, and they don't you know they don't have the give it to Russo and just let her cook from last season. So they're having to they're having to play a bit different now. And and I think one good thing about this United women's team this season is they've got options. Their bench is just so much deeper than what it was last season. Slight worry about things in midfield, but it wouldn't be Manchester United if you didn't have slight worries about things in midfield. Yeah, there is that. And what do you expect of PSG? Like I say, it is a an historic occasion, isn't it? But a difficult game for United, a difficult tie over the two legs. Yeah, really difficult, really difficult. I mean, you know, classic Champions League, you win your home games and you draw your away games. And I think that would be what Skinner's telling everyone to do. He, he keeps bringing up red devil energy. Uh, and I'm really proud, really happy that he's given more minutes to Lucia Garcia as well. So I'm hoping, uh, you know, by the time listeners get this podcast, that there might still be tickets available. Tickets are very affordable for this. Um, so, yeah, if you're at Lucent on Tuesday night, try and get yourself down to Lee Sports Village and, and have a go. Absolutely. Right. I think we'll leave it there. Um, a, a podcast in two parts and two sort of contrasting takes on that Brentford game and what it means for Manchester United in there as well, to be fair. We're not going to be recording again this week with it being the international break. So this is your only podcast for this week and then we'll be back next week as we begin to build up to Manchester United returning to Premier League action. But Belfast and Dublin, we'll see you next week. We're looking forward to the live shows that are taking place on the 16th and the 17th. Uh, For everyone else, we'll see you after those if we survive them. See you on the next one. Take care. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, Laurie. See you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic.